Well, welcome, welcome, welcome to our SOS Volume 2 See Here Love series, Summer of Strength. Here we are again. I know many of you were tracking with us last summer when we launched our SOS podcast series. And because you were all about it, and we were all about it, and we loved it, and we have so many great people, we decided to bring back SOS This Summer Again, Volume 2. And we have a whole amazing lineup of women and men who are going to strengthen you this summer in all the things, in mental health, in racism, in if you're a starving artist, how uh, what you need to do, in story of courage and resilience and perseverance and divorce and trauma. I could go on, but please, please, please stick with us all this summer uh, and listen to all of our podcasts on SOS, uh, Summer of Strength, because I know these stories will strengthen and inspire you um, as you journey through life. Um, and if you're having a hard time, uh, I know that these stories will lift you, will hold you, um, and our hope is that they will bring you hope and joy, possibility um, as you overcome. But this first episode will blow your mind. It's all about recovering racist, becoming a recovering racist, dismantling white supremacy, and reclaiming our humanity. And so I'm speaking with Idolette McVicker, an African woman who grew up in South Africa during apartheid, and her journey in understanding that she was a racist and that she needed to make some changes wake up, leave, repent, recalibrate, and repair her life as she follows this liberating Jesus um, into loving all people. It, this conversation blew my mind. It has deeply convicted me. Um, the thing she says you will need to maybe stop and pause and then play back, um, stop and pause and make a note because that's what I did. And it's all about her journey. It's all about the white bubble that she lived in where she served and worshiped the white Jesus. And then the circumstances that led to her questioning everything about her identity, country, and faith. And even in a moment of her life, leaving the church because it didn't line up with the values of Jesus and what was true and good. And she shares about grappling with the legacy of white supremacy in her life and recovering from racism that is a lifelong work that required her both inner transformation and societal change. Um, incredible. And please take notes because she talks about that in, and if you choose to be a recovering racist, you must acknowledge your internalized racism, that you must repent of your complicity, and then you need to turn to choose and learn new ways of being human. So I hope you listen well, that you lean in with my conversation with the strong and powerful and humble and beautiful Edelette McVicker.
Well, Idolette McVicker, it is such an honor and privilege to have you on our very first episode of our SOS Summer of Strength series here on See Here Love. You are what we're kicking off with for our Summer of Strength series, and I think who better than Idolette? So there it uh, is. You're you're setting the tone, Idolette, for the entire summer of See Here Love. <laughs> <laughs> Woo, let's nope. go. <laughs> yeah, no pressure. No pressure at all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, so grateful to be here, Melinda. Yeah, welcome. And also just congratulations on your new book, Recovering Racist, Dismantling White Supremacy and Reclaiming Our Humanity. Wow. It c- congratulations is all I can say and I know that our listeners and our viewers um are going to be taken into this incredible journey pilgrimage story of yours as they read through this but i'm so glad that uh, we have the time together uh, to talk about your story so i think maybe at first maybe in defining because people are like recovering racists what (laughs) first of all what is that second of all is that really possible and Mm -hmm. am i a racist and how can i recover all of those things so so kind of explain that concept title to our listeners and viewers. Right. But Melinda, just, I'm so grateful to be here. And I, I just want to kind of ground myself too, because I come, I'm showing up here. I'm today, yeah. I'm sitting here um, at my desk in the basement of our house, but I'm sitting on the unceded territories of the Kwantlen, mm. the Semiyamu, um, and the Stolo peoples. And I come to this conversation across three continents. Um, from South Africa, where I was born and raised, then via Taiwan, and then for the last 22 years here in Canada. And so, you know, I come across uh, different languages as well. Uh, My mother tongue is Afrikaans. And so I'm showing up in a language that connects us, which I'm so grateful for, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But this is all the things that have brought me to this place and all the people, right? So, um, yeah, I'm just, so a recovering racist. So that's... um, you know, is it possible for me, this would be a lifelong journey. I think mm-hmm. it would probably be a lifelong journey of recovering from this racism that was deeply instilled into me, embedded into my body and into my being, I would say, growing up during apartheid in South Africa. And so I was born right into kind of the height of apartheid, um, right in the middle of it, um, and into a white community, and into what we now call whiteness, like literally what, what people are campaigning for if they want this white kind of idyllic community, which is not, which is it's not, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, a recovering race is somebody who tries to pull all those threads and those ideas and um, the things that have been instilled in you out and, and interrogate them, get rid of them, metabolize them so that when a white body shows up in a room, we can do less harm. Mm. Because we bring all of these things when we walk into a room together, right? Ideas, Mm. assumptions, things that have been told to us, things that we've been, that ideas that we've grown up with, that I've grown up with. And so when I walk into a room, I'm hoping I can bring a body that can be part of metabolizing this division between us, this hatred, mm-hmm. this this awfulness that we've created in the world, um, the oppression, right? And so the language of recovering is really from the Reverend Kelly Brown Douglas. And so for me, I was on this journey of recovering from my racism, but I, I, 
I wouldn't have called, I wouldn't have known to call it that, Mm -hmm. to be honest with you. I'd been on this journey for probably 25 years, um, trying to just figure out what does it mean to be human in this world? What does it mean to be an Afrikaner in this world? Because that was my cultural identity. Mm -hmm. And so because apartheid was called a crime against humanity by the United Nations, when one of my aha and wake up moments was when I realized, oh goodness, I am not on the right side of the story. I have been part of the people who have created this crime against humanity. This is my heritage. Now, what do I do with it? Thankfully, I had Jesus there with me, kind of holding my hand and saying, okay, let's go. <laughs> Come, mm-hmm. we're going. We're going to get right into the, the heart of this awfulness and figure out what does it mean to be human now? And so for me, that journey took me then to a conversation in Grand Rapids um, at the Festival of Faith and Writing. And the Reverend Kelly Brown Douglas was there. And up to that point, I'd been trying to prove that I was not this racist Afrikaner, basically. Like I was this good white person, right? Mm -hmm. But that morning, sitting in that lecture room, she said, she looked at the room and she stood and she said, the only thing white people can be are recovering racists. Wow. Wow. And I was like, and to be honest with you, I, my body received it in a way that it's like, this is truth. This mm. is yes. I have been waiting. I've been looking for something to just to say that or for someone to, I, I didn't, I wouldn't have had the words, but she said it. And I was like, yes. And I looked at my friend, I'm like, did she actually just say that? I just wanted to confirm, right? Because I was like, it was such a big moment. I didn't want to misinterpret it or mishear it or anything. And she, she's like, no, that she, she said that. And so we listened and I, you know, I held it in and, and, I, and I reflected on it. And I listened to what she was saying as a black woman standing in the U.S. Um, and I'm me standing, sitting there in that room, listening to her, looking for tools and clues and, and healing words and when she said that that for me became a door that was opened Mm. and I felt this is it and so I have I I went and I sat with it I reflected on it I talked to people about it and I was like and I heard it from other black voices as well Mm -hmm. this about this idea of being in recovery from this internalized Mm -hmm. racism and so as I was as it was sort of getting confirmed I was like no, this is, this is, this is it, that this is a real thing. And so when I use that language as a thread or even as a filter, it was like, this, this is true. This is, this is very helpful. And so it was like that, you know, I guess a rock bottom, right? Mm -hmm. This is when you hit rock. Oh, in, I I would say hitting rock bottom in my idea, what it meant to be human. Because for me, at the, until that moment, to say that I was racist, I would have run away into the other direction. Right. Right? Yeah. But then to, to acknowledge it, there was, such, there was such peace that actually came with that, such uh, freedom, mm-hmm. ironically. Yeah. Uh, because I could say, okay, this is the truth. Now what do we do with this? Right. And, you know, I, I, I so commend you on that because a lot of times it'll let people hear something and they're like, oh, that that hits a nerve. 
they might take a moment, but many, I would say, just walk away and don't actually internalize and go, wait a second. Mm -hmm. Was that meant for me? Why am I feeling this way? Why is my body tensing? Wait a second. I need Mm -hmm. to take a pause and moment to figure out why that jarred me, why I had a, you know, physical reaction, why I'm feeling that way. And I'm so glad you did. I'm so glad you sat with and said, whoa, okay, there's something there, right? That I... I need to think on and, and figure out. And I think that's that's a, a, so encouraging. So let's go back now, Idalette, to your, your, the history of, you know, as a white Afrikaner woman growing up in South Africa during apartheid, which you've said, and you were steeped in a community and a church that reinforced white supremacy. Whoa. And shielded from your neighbors. What was that like? I mean, for some people, like, oh, we understand that. For other people, they're like no idea what that is but what was your life like in in that time what did you experience see not see you know it really was a white bubble mm-hmm. and and apartheid had created this bubble very intentionally to separate people based on the color of our skin and so that there would be no proximity to our neighbor who wasn't white right mm-hmm. Um, and so there were neighborhoods that were all white by law. And there are still train tracks in South Africa that separate communities. And in the old apartheid time, they would on the one side would be a black community and the other side would be a, a white community, right? And so people did not cross these lines. And like that's a, a very physical, structural element that created this racism too, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, so think about it now. You grow up in this all-white community. Now, when you think about neighbor, you think about your white neighbor, right? Those are the people you meet. Those are the people you stand and you talk over the fence with, right? Mm-hmm. Or you have barbecues with, right? And we go to church every Sunday. Every Sunday, you only sit with white people in this church, So now this is also only your neighbor. And so when they preach, love your neighbor, well, it's very simple. You, you only have this imagine, like imagination for whiteness, really. Mm -hmm. And it's very intentional, so evil in its intent. Right. Um, And so my school was also all white. So 12 years of going to school every day with only white students and only white teachers. And so you, you, you're in this bubble where, because also there was not a culture of, of um, asking questions, right? Mm-hmm. That questions was not encouraged, especially not in school, right? We were really taught to regurgitate ideas and facts, right? So um, that was the context. But then, you know, of course you have this, I was in this white bubble, but at the periphery of it, there was rumblings, mm. right? And you see headlines and you hear, and, and maybe it was the way my dad would pull his face or move his body or, or something, right? Um, and I also had a very distinct memory of walking down one of the main streets in Parle, it's called Lady Grey Street, and walking up towards the, the post office. And at the time I was a little girl, I was holding my dad's hand and... We walked through the post office and there was a sign that said whites only. So the door that we had to walk through was for white people only. And 
you know, there was a separate interest for people of color. And so I remember in my body not, this is, like it felt there was something off. But you don't have language for that at the time, right? Um, yeah, and so there was just, there were very few relationships that were not um, on a hierarchical kind of structure, right? Mm. Um, between people across racial divides. And so that really shaped the first, my upbringing. And it was, it was very intentionally, you, you know, there was this focus on church, focus on culture, focus on school, mm. right? On, on, on excellence, that, those kinds of things. Um, and to try and deny or ignore what was going on on the outside, mm -hmm. where people were literally protesting for equal rights, right? right? On this, in the same yeah. land. So here you are in that bubble. And I would say there's people who are like, oh, yeah, uh, I lived that. I'm still living that. Um, what caused you then, Idalette, to see outside of the bubble to realize that you were in the bubble that they are, there might be there might be a problem here in in my worldview and and what's happening what what caused you know that starting the journey the questioning the pilgrimage for you yeah there really was a shattering mm, for me wow. um and Lord. yeah like that's a, when you say shattering it, it you know, really I, i've never heard someone say, use that word in that context and i'm like yeah it's yeah. a shattering. There was a shattering mm -hmm. of, 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 of kind of this idea of what I thought my world was, mm -hmm. right? And it started, uh, first of all, my dad, who was a German teacher, took us to Germany, a group of school of mm -hmm. students. And um, one of the things he did was he took us to Dachau, um, a concert, former concentration camp, right? And I just remember the starkness of the land and the and the environment and the crunch of the gravel and then to stand in a gas chamber. And I remember as a 16-year-old at the time thinking, how can people be so cruel and so evil to each other? Mm. Standing in a German context, and I hadn't connected yet what we were doing in South Africa. Mm. And, but that... I think I had a, a glimpse of how how cruel we can be to each other as humanity. And it and it yeah, it, I mean it wrecked me, right? Um and then I went home and books were being unbanned. At the time things were starting to lift. Apartheid was coming, it was really at the end of it, right? And there was um and books were starting to get unbanned. Anything that had criticized the apartheid government had been banned. Any person literally was locked away. Books were banned. Um, and um, these books were starting to get unbanned. And I one day I just walked into the library and I used to be, I, I was a prolific reader and I still am, but I walked into the library and there was this turnstile with unbanned books. It says recently unbanned <laughs> books. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> this is the library. I guess it's, it's, you know, it's kind of a safe space. Right. And I walked over to the turnstile and I got the book off the shelf and I started reading and I was like, okay, I got to take this book home. And it was that book because it painted a different story than the story I grew up with. Mm. 
um, of what it meant to be black in South Africa and what it meant to be white in South Africa and what apartheid was doing. And I remember closing that book and that was the shattering. That was like my worldview, my understanding of who I was had crumbled. Wow. And mm. I didn't know what to do with it, to be honest. You're, I was 16 years old. I had nobody talked to mm-hmm. about this. Um, I didn't have language to understand what was going on. I just knew that I did not want to be a part of this. This was not who I wanted to be in the world. And so I kind of set my head in a different direction and started walking towards what I was just hoping was with like this other way of being would find me. Mm -hmm. Right. And so when I left home and went to university, I I actually left church as Mm -hmm. well. Because I had grown up in the in the Dutch Reformed Church that had been part of creating the theology that sustained apartheid, right? So I was like, I can't this that that, and that all the all white pews. I just couldn't be a part of that, um, and so I just thought I had to leave Jesus as well because I thought white Jesus was you know real Jesus. <laughs> And Jesus is like, oh, you know, like, and like I said, I grew up with white Jesus in the, in the Asian context. It was white Jesus, blue eyed, creamy, milky skin, brown hair with a pint, long brown hair, the hint is maybe some blonde highlight in a white robe in my Sunday school classes, you know, always white yeah. Jesus. Yeah. 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 Hmm. And Yeah. The harm of that white yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Right. So I'm so grateful. Then when I came back to when I went to Asia and to Taiwan, I actually encountered a different than not the white Jesus, which I'm so yeah. grateful for. Right. Yeah. So you've left. You've left. So the church because of this, you've left South Africa. Is that right? At this point. So no. So I was about 16. So when I went yeah. to university, I left church, yeah. and then. You know, I was wrestling with that. And then um, I actually left, I, I finished my degree at one university, which was an Afrikaans university, and then went to an English university, which was always already a cultural shift. It was a big leap in my Afrikaner community. And, um, and so I went to an English university for my journalism degree. And then after that, went to Taiwan. And I still got to vote in the 1994 elections, which was wow. such an incredible mm-hmm. moment as well. And such a marker for me. I know, um, you know, Nelson Mandela talked about and wrote about the long walk mm-hmm. to freedom and how much of that was that moment for people who had wait, waited decades to vote in that election. I got to vote in that as my first election, but people had waited decades. Wow. And so the humbling idea of that, mm-hmm. right, and to stand in that lineup. But that day gave me an, also an imagination for what freedom truly tastes like and looks like. It was political freedom that come to that mm-hmm. moment, right? There was still lots of work around economic freedom, right? And, um, but, but political freedom had come to that moment. But for me as a white Afrikaner woman, that day, with that taste of what life and your presence in the world, your being in the world is supposed to feel like, that sense of peace, I feel like my long walk to freedom only started that day. Wow. That I had to go and find my freedom. My, yeah, 
I had to I had to go and find it, right? Go on this pilgrimage. I wonder, Ila, how many of us have those moments. And I'm I'm just sort of thinking through my life and we we let them pass us by. We don't take the moment to go, wow, what is being spoken to me? Right? I just I just wonder. I wonder I think that's what's really beautiful about your book and journey is that you experience these things, these moments and you you really take the time to internalize, feel it, and then and then think about what this means. That's really beautiful. I wish more people did that. I think we we have a culture mm-hmm. that's just go we just keep going, right? One after another. We're always reaching for the next, the next, the next. And we have missed yeah. beautiful moments of transformation, of reclaiming what is true and good um truth about ourselves freedom you know i think that's what's really powerful also about your pilgrimage and journey is for me reading through your story is just that you took those moments to say to say to think to feel what is this saying to me what is this moment speaking to me for to learn and for and for growth and for wholeness it's really beautiful yeah Thank you. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, I think I'm a writer, right? Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I look for crumbs too. Like I was looking for these crumbs really for understanding, for my belonging, mm-hmm. for freedom, for um, just true liberation. Like, and, and what it, and I really was looking for Jesus to guide me in this, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. Right. Um yeah. So I and yeah, I I, I hear you because I think you know this book took thirty plus years to write, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so I'm so grateful for the people who've you know supported me and and also kind of be, you know were bearing with mm-hmm. me as I was because it's not it 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 is it's um sort of countercultural, yeah. right? Um, the slow, very slow process of it. Um, but I didn't know how else to do it, to be honest with you, because this was such deep work mm-hmm. and there was so much on the line. Right? I, yeah. Wow. People have suffered so much. I just, I just, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, you vote and then you, you keep bringing up Taiwan as a as a as a moment as <laughs> as a place where many things happen within you and understanding. So after that, is that when you went to then Taiwan? Okay. Yeah, nineteen ninety five. So nineteen ninety five, I went to Taiwan. Yes, and um, first went to just kind of teach English, but um, you know, I yeah, I was with the I, it was. It was a difficult time in my life too. I was in a relationship and um, getting into that, in getting to Taiwan and you're, you're in a, um, I was talking about in the book, like it was a completely foreign to me context, right? So language, culture, the signs on the road, um, food. It was incredible. And uh, this wonderful kind of immersion into another world 
Um, it was hard on a relationship. And so the, um, that also exploded in some way, right? But it was the best thing, really, because I think God was just calling mm. me and kind of pulling me, you know? And um, so I worked there as a journalist for two different newspapers, um, first with the China Post and then the Taiwan News. And then, you know, I was, again, I was just so hungry for God. I didn't couldn't have named that for you at the time but because I'd left God at home but I thought you know when I went to university um I had made a very dis a distinct decision to leave my little Gideon Bible at home when I moved to mm -hmm. Taiwan and that was a real moment for me because I'd always sort of taken it along and you kind of pack mm -hmm. it right like it's like oh yeah yeah but I made a decision because I felt like I would be a hypocrite if I brought that Bible along, because I was not living a Christian life at the time. And so it was interesting because that decision in some ways, that break with, with what I understood Christian culture to be maybe, be maybe, and that truth of that, then opened me up to say, okay, what, where is God? I, I was looking for God. And then I was covering a story for International Women's Day, okay. actually. Yep. And there was a Canadian woman, Dorothy, who um, was standing there and we were, I was getting coffee, she was getting coffee and she invited me to sit down with her. And she that day invited me to what she was just starting and was called the Women's Power Breakfast. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I want to be there. And she's like, we're going to be discussing this book called Jesus CEO. And I was like, whoa. I think I have that in my... <laughs> Somewhere in my, like, honestly, in my, I'm like looking over here looking at my book is, I think I have the Jesus CEO. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. <laughs> and so I was just like, I had to be there. Mm -hmm. I just knew. And so I drove on my little scooter for an hour from the one side of Taipei to the other side of Taipei to be at this women's breakfast at seven oh, o'clock wow. in the morning on a Wednesday because I was so mm -hmm. hungry. And for me, that was a moment, that was a homecoming. I was sitting around the table with women from all around the world. And I met the Jesus who wasn't white, who was, had such a big and expansive and beautiful view of women, of, of, of mm -hmm. people. Yeah, about people. Right? Yeah. Of, 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 right, of what it meant to be like a, um, a follower of this Jesus. And so... It was a very liberative space, right? It was just a very beautiful space. And so I just kept showing up yeah. <laughs> week after week. And then you, you know, and then, you know, started going back to church. And yeah, so just things started lining up. Um, and it was around that time. So the ir irony was this, as I was finding Jesus back in Taiwan, I was also coming face to face with my Afrikaner mm. heritage. Okay. So there was one day I was doing this, um, I was covering Freedom Day, which was that, you know, the day we had had that first democratic elections, the national holiday of South Africa now is now called Freedom Day. And I was covering the story and I went into this beautiful Hilton Hotel and the chandeliers and the, you know, South African wine being served. And I just remember so clearly that day. I was introducing myself and my Afrikaans sounding name and my accent. And all of a sudden I was like in this room with diplomats and dignitaries and business people who I realized at the time looked at me and saw we had fought or campaigned against apartheid and you were on the wrong side 
of that mm. story. It was all mm-hmm. internal, my mm-hmm. internal dialogue, right? But for me, it was such a moment of reckoning with my place in the story of humanity. Where I was like, oh, I have not been, my people have not been on the side of justice. And what does that mm-hmm. mean to me? And so I'm so grateful at that time. I also had this, this, this faith now that was revived and it was becoming really intimate and beautiful. And this Jesus was saying, okay, let's go, come we let's walk into this thing now together and really look at this past and what you need to do to get through it because the shame was was it felt Mm -hmm. all consuming and i knew i was not meant to stay in shame right i knew i couldn't just shut down and that that but the shame became a marker for me. It was like, okay, there's something I need to do. There's something I need to learn, understand, um, see, internalize, metabolize, transform, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so um, just also that idea of, you know, like I was really sitting with that, this scripture around, if one part of the body hurts, every part of the body hurts, right? The whole body hurts. And I think because I was feeling this deep kind of hurt about what we had done with apartheid, it's like, look, look at what we had done, how many people we had hurt and oppressed for so many years. And I felt that permission from that scripture verse to feel that way because I felt like if we had created this pain, this might just be... Um, I, there was permission to talk about it, I, I felt like, right? Because people in South Africa, my white peers were not talking about apartheid. They just wanted yeah. it to be over, right? Didn't want to kind of reflect on it, um, talk about it. Uh, whereas, as I was learning over the years, then if you were a person of color or black, people, not everybody, of course, cause, um, but lots of people wanted to talk about this and kind of move towards each other and, and, and just talk about the past and talk about the pain and talk about how do we become mm-hmm. transformed. Um, and so I'm, for me, you know, I think about living in Taiwan. My faith was an anti-racist faith at that time because of my story. I wouldn't have had language for that or could have named it that way, but, but I had to. Like my faith and my search for this justice for unraveling the story for making sense not not that you can make sense of this right um but finding my place in the story of humanity those two things were were very much together for me hi this is becca the associate producer of see here love interrupting this great conversation to let you know that there are more shows and great content and blogs at seeherelove.com and our youtube channel content to help you and give you tools as you care for your mental health relationships being single being married family issues your self-confidence we're here for you to help you find joy and small wins in your everyday as we lean into relationship with Jesus and intentional community. So check us out at seeherelove.com. And if you want to help us keep making this kind of content, you can donate to us at seeherelove.com donate. And really, to keep Melinda and I working and with jobs, donate. 
And finally, if you found this episode inspiring, please take a moment to share it with someone who would enjoy it and to rate and review our podcast. It really helps. I wonder how many people, you know, and maybe it's a, it's a bigger question. I think there are people who are listening and saying, I, I want to recover from my racism, right? Like, I haven't had the journey that Ida Let's been on, but I'm, after these past two years, or even longer, I am uncomfortable. I I am ashamed. Yeah. I just don't know what to do. You know, and I and I've have heard many of those people, Ida Let, in the past while, go, I acknowledge... Uh, my racism, my biases, my judgment. I just don't know how to unravel and tangle out of it. Um, and it's a hard journey. It, there's been a lot of tears, you know, shed in our home and, uh, and, and in coffee shops and over dinners with people that we love that yeah. are trying to sort it all out. Yeah. And for me, I just—it's not easy, but no, it, I, I think it's not no. easy. But it's—it's it's absolutely necessary. It's oh. not easy. And what you're saying about the body, you know, we say it. It's like it's like a throwaway. Like when the one part of the body hurts, everybody hurts. Mm, no, you it, know. No. But when you actually sit and listen to that, when you were saying that, I was feeling it. Going, do I feel that when one part of the body? Do I internalize and feel that pain and and weep when one body, you know, one part of the body hurts? And sometimes not. Sometimes I do. If I was honest, maybe not all the time. Right. Um, I think for me it was just because the story was my story. Right. I had to pay attention. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to pay attention. Um, and, I, and I, to be honest with you, I was felt really stuck in my own life. And for me, the only way forward was I felt that my stuckness was connected to the change that we had put on others. Hmm. And so as I started facing and looking at the chains, or sometimes the laws that we'd literally laid on the land, as Hmm. I would look at them and I would repent, then there was something in me that got lifted. Right? Um... And so some of those ideas, as I confronted them, because they had, a, they had a consequence in my own life, right? So my freedom was deeply connected to looking at the story, right? It, and mm-hmm. yes, it's not easy, but I was, I don't see, I, 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 if, we're, if we are hurting others through our laws or through our decisions, there are consequences, right? And so mm-hmm. whether we are acknowledging them or looking at them and then um, go and untie them or out, you know, pull them out by the root, right? And heal those things. I think when we do that, there, there's healing. There can be healing, mm-hmm. right? And there's mm-hmm. freedom. And there's like, I could, I could feel like... You know, sometimes I would sit in a conversation, I could actually literally feel something just kind of drop off, like an idea, right? And it's like, oh, wow, 
I didn't realize I was holding that, but because I placed my body in, in places where I was hearing other stories and I mm. was in context of just listening and learning, sometimes things would just kind of, I guess, metabolize. It's a, this is a word that Resma mm-hmm. Menikam is a, is a, a therapist in the U.S. uses, right? Like metabolizing that, the stuff that is within us right um mm-hmm. so you know I, yeah i i think about you know in a canadian context where people are listening um the apartheid leaders came and studied the reserve system to decide how to create apartheid how to create those neighborhoods our separate neighborhoods right so there's a deep connection even between these stories, right? Mm. Um, and so I, th- I th- the thing that I've learned is that the shame is, there's, there's shame's going to rise probably around these things and to pay attention to that. And mm-hmm. for me, what worked was then to say, okay, well, I'm not supposed to stay in shame. This is not where I'm meant to be. How do I, I am not... I am not, you know, a despised person. Like, so even though I am a recovering racist, I am also beloved. Yes. Yeah. Right? So those identities mm-hmm. can live at the same time. I am not just a recovering racist. I am also beloved, right? And so mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Um, so... The shame will come, the guilt. So then how do I move that to not I am wrong or I am awful, but we have done something awful. And that's in, mm. the, in the realm of guilt, right? Mm. So, right. So then you, you know, when you think about the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, right? There, here's truth being told. Wrong was done. Truth mm-hmm. being told. There might be some guilt that rises, but the guilt then tells us, okay, there's something for me to do. There's something in my story that I need to pay attention to and ask, where is the intersection of my story with this guilt? Not just mm-hmm. shove it away, but interrogate it. Ask, ask, ask God, right? Okay, mm-hmm. what do we do with this guilt now? Um, I know that I'm, bef- I'm meant to stand before you my face not my face radiant with you before you right not covered with shame but radiant before you and so how do we get there what do i do with it and so the guilt and then the guilt you do something you can actually i benefited financially from apartheid as a white afrikaner person and so then it became a conversation about money right and it mm-hmm. took me a while to get there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest about that too, right? I kind of had to go through a lot of these processes and then finally it was like, thankfully there's enough voices in my life who are like, yep, now we're talking about money too, right? Like, or just interrogate, where does your story intersect with mm. the story of racism right where you live, right? Yeah. The story of racism in your family. What is your family story? 
right? I've gone back and tried to learn and, 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 and see what is the story of my family and how my ancestors came to South Africa in the 1700s, right? Uh, and what are those threads and what is there anything I need to pay attention to, right? And so um, learning that a white child received more money every day to go to school from the apartheid government than a black child, mm-hmm. right? That was very, I mean, that is, that's racism. Mm-hmm. And so that was a very, I had a number. I could, I had a clear place to start from. Yeah. Okay. Here's something. Okay. I can start here. Right. And I think that's helpful because I think it can be overwhelming. Yes. You know, when you're, when you're realizing it and you come to this conclusion of, of, I'm a racist or, and what then is my responsibility? I think for some, it's just like overwhelming of the things I could do, but I think that's good just to start where you can, what, what is in front of you? What is the, the yeah. connection and go yeah. from there? Yeah. Right. I, because that's what, you know, I hear this a lot. People are like, here's an issue. I'm so overwhelmed. Yeah. Therefore now I can't, won't do anything. And now I, I feel quite apathetic and I'm not doing mm-hmm. anything. You know what I mean? Like it's this, so how do we kind of, bring it to a place where it, it's the it's the one thing you can do that's in front of you or that you know of that you yeah. can do you can yeah. start there the spirit of this thing is really like you know it's too overwhelmed right to to seem to make it seem so big right and so if we just start yeah. with small and personal mm-hmm. and then but also pay attention to the collective right what is my responsibility right. not only as an individual but also in the collective then right. right you know in your book you know in through this journey of both inner transformation and you know the work that requires inner transformation and societal change you said there's three things that we must acknowledge number one our internalized racism number two repent of our complicity and then three learn new ways of being human can you just kind of go through those um just so that you know i think that can even be a first step for a listener or viewer now. You know, I'm at a place where I must acknowledge these three things. Uh, maybe you can give us some of your insight in that, Idolette. So if the first was our internalized racism, which is always a hard place. Because like you said earlier, I'm not racist. Mm. Or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there, there are many of us in that space. Are there some of us that, you know, are some that are like, I might be kind of racist or partly racist or... Oh, that's, that was just, you know, a joke that, that was said in our family. You know what I mean? Like all of these yeah. things. Yeah. So let's start with yeah. that. What does that mean? Our internalized racism. Yes. So all of the ideas and beliefs that we have internalized, the stories we have heard, the jokes that we have not said, you know, mm-hmm. said anything to. But even if we have, like, because I would have said, I was somebody who spoke up. If if some if there was a, a joke, a racist joke, I would have said something. Um, mm-hmm. But I had to reflect for me, it really was when I started looking at who are my friends? There was a, who are my friends? So, you know, I lived in Taiwan. I moved to Canada. I lived a very, I was living a very different life here in a very global context, right? But when I thought about friendships in South Africa, all my friends were white. 
And I was like, how is this that I was a 30-something-year-old woman living in Canada? But when I think about my relationship in South Africa, my relationships, they were all white. And I was like, this is still apartheid in my relationships, right? And so that internalized mm -hmm. racism of not moving past those boundaries and borders that my society had set, but I had adhered to. The people said, oh, don't go there, right? And I was like, or, oh, you really shouldn't, you don't want to go there. And so my practice has been now, I'm crossing those borders. I drive across those and I, I go to those places where I was told as a kid, oh, no, 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 we don't go there. Now I go there and I go seek it out, right? Or I listen or I look for relationships to open up, right? And so just interrogate, what does your life look like? Where, I mean... I think if we sit for a minute, we will know where we have to start. Start, start with that one. Mm -hmm. Start pulling at that thread. Just what's the first thing? Um, what's the first thing that comes to your heart? To what? Where's your heart moved? Right, and then the acknowledgement is such a moment because. then you don't have to use all of that energy to, to, to say that you're not racist and you can actually use it for good. You know, you don't have to use mm -hmm. that energy to prove that you're not racist. You can actually use your life to do something good with and towards, to seek justice, right? Um, repentance was a huge piece of my story for this, right? Yeah, and that's one where it's like the repent of our complicity. That's when we're all like, "Ow," because that's a that's a big, strong, loaded word. Yeah, repent and complicity. I would say both. You know, it's like <laughs> I don't want to be known for that. Like, <laughs> what? Like it's like these hard hitting things. Just like, oh, oh, <laughs> oh. Oh, yes. Just being honest. I and love like, you. Oh, like, oh, my word. I love you. <laughs> but go ahead. Give it to me. This repentance. Repent of my complicity. Honestly, like it's. Oh. <laughs> you know, it is an ouch hallelujah, though. Right? Yeah, it is. You're right. It is a ouch hallelujah. Right. That's good. An ouch hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing that down. That's good. <laughs> as we, you know, yeah. as I've repented and, you know, God looks for truth in our inner parts, right? And, and so as we repent of the things, the, the, the communal things, the collective things, and sometimes the individual things, if, if there's something individual, if there's something that when you have harmed somebody, you need to make right with that one person, right? Absolutely. Do that, mm -hmm. right? But we're talking now about the collective. Now, also, I have a caveat in my book, and I, and I write about that quite a, bit, quite a bit, about when we understand our complicity in the collective, please do not run to an individual and repent to an individual for your racism, because then we are actually perpetuating harm right um wow yeah austin Ch austin um channing brown talks about that in his book yeah austin channing brown talks about it in her in her book mm -hmm. i'm still here and she talks about how she had to be she, people made her into this priest for whiteness 
and how harmful it was. Like people were lining up to repent of their sins and of their complicity to racism. And she's like, this is not my job. I didn't sign up for this, mm -hmm. right? And so do not take our understanding or our awakening to our complicity to the collective harm that we've done to an individual, okay. right? Those mm -hmm. things we take to God in our inner room, mm -hmm. right? Do that. Do that work first. And then if you've done this for a while and you still feel the, the, the nudge, maybe then there's, and you start talking to other people and like, oh yeah, I feel like there's a, there needs to be collective repentance from a group of us. I've seen some beautiful repentance between people, right? But then, mm -hmm. but that has to be done in relationship and very carefully, right? And then not whiteness deciding, oh, this is an idea. Let's go and hammer down repentance now. That's not the spirit of the mm -hmm. thing, right? This has to be walked yeah. out so carefully um, and, 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 and with such humility, and um, and also, I think that there was a thread for me, the idea of I was watching for a relationship to open up for me. I didn't go and barge through doors. I didn't go say, oh, I need a black friend. I was like, okay, where? Like, like, a, like a checkbox, no. right? I no. need a black friend. Uh, done, check. And then I needed like an Asian friend. Oh, check. Yeah. And then I need an indigenous friend. Yeah. No. Which... That's a good point you say because I've seen that happen. Yeah. yeah. Now we're all trying to get the the right people yeah. in our space. Right. And I think that's more to make us feel okay. Yeah. Right. And good, right? So hmm. what I did is I literally just decided I I needed to be in different spaces. So I just went and listened. I just I decided in for one thing I went to a gathering called Amahoro in for the first time in Kenya. And so just to be in a space and started listening. And then again, just naturally interacting with people. And then as watching, then being invited to a breakfast with a, with, um, a black woman from South Africa. And then that relationship over the years then unfolding and the generosity of her friendship too right but so yeah just i also there's a caveat there right just this it's sometimes i don't know what's this thing it's like we think um whiteness is like oh i see a thing that i want or that i think i oh i'm hearing i need this and then i just want to go take it no that's not the spirit of this thing right um mm -hmm. and so re repenting of our complicity just do the work in our inner room Right. And just watch kind mm -hmm. of what what is the thing that kind of pops up for you? I was like, oh, you know, I, I see this. I, oh, or this is where my story intersects. Go there. Just go and sit with it. Yeah. Say, OK, Holy Spirit, spirit of truth. What is here for me? Is there something I need mm -hmm. to do? Right. Um, yeah, and and good. laws like, you know, the laws was, I kind of printed out this list of apartheid laws that I would just read through and, and repent of and, you know, things like that. Right. Good. And then your third one says, I mean, it, it, learn new ways of being human. You know, I love that. Um, you know, in Lisa Sharon Harper, in her forward to you, you know, she's, she's giving this endorsement of the book, you know, you're invited to take a step 
you know, one step on this pilgrimage. And she goes, and you're invited to allow yourself to be simply human. And I love this. And to join the beloved community of humanity again. Yeah. I, it's, it's profound because I, I, I don't know if we think like, you know, here we are human. We kind of go about our day. We do our thing. We live our life. But this sense of, you know, your, your story invites us to allow ourselves to be simply human and to, and to join the beloved community, community of humanity again. Mm. I, I don't know. It struck me. I don't, I don't know why it's resonating. I need to sit on this after I, I, I speak with you. But it, there's something there. It, there's something about this, you know, new ways of being human. And, and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's liberating. And it's scary. And exciting all at the same time. As I'm even thinking about those, those words of, mm. of new ways of being human. Because in mm. some ways you're like, well, this is the way. This is my way. This is my, my family's way. This is, but I, I love it a lot that there is a new way. There's new things we can do, you know, for peace, yeah. um, for fairness, for justice, right? Anyway, yeah. I'm, I'm going to ask you this. I'm just processing with you as I'm sitting here thinking, but learning <laughs> new ways of being human. Yeah. Um, what are some maybe the top of just that you found in this, in this um, inner work of transformation? You know the one that kind of <laughs> rocked my world a little bit the a little bit the most um, <laughs> was this idea of honoring everyone. Mm. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Did you say everyone or yes. only the people that are my side mm. of the political spectrum and yes. others? Okay, <laughs> honor everyone, right? Yeah, I was because I was on this justice, you know, kind of like quest and I was like justice and yeah God for God loves you know God loves justice and then I was listening to a sermon um at the justice conference actually and and um <laughs> and uh the speaker was saying honor everyone and it's also in the Bible <laughs> and the idea of honoring everyone and I was like and he asked this question who would be the hardest for you to honor? Hmm. Mm -hmm. And when he asked that question, I was like, oh. And the people who came to mind or the person who came to mind was like, oh, I have work to do. <laughs> I have work to do. And so I started understanding that this journey towards the other. I used to think it was towards, you know, my black other. Or the person of color who I was told was my other, right? Like, this mm -hmm. was my story. And then I realized it's also my ideological other, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's all the ways we create these divisions between each other, right? Apartheid is separateness. It's division. It's the ways we have ripped our belonging to each other, right? The violence... Mm -hmm we're with each other right the words we use and so this honoring everyone is a is a challenging one right mm -hmm. it's like it really do is. i do i watch my language how do i speak about people i don't agree with mm -hmm. right and do i allow that in my house around the table and i'm like you know and so do i honor do 
Do I honor the humanity of every person? That doesn't mean I condone their actions. That doesn't mean there are not consequences for injustice. Right. But do I honor their integral humanity? And if I can, if I can answer that truthfully and have, have integrity there, right? I think that's a big one. For me, the other piece around um, a new way of being human was the, was the concept of Ubuntu, right? This is an African concept that I was um, so grateful to read about and learn about through the teaching of the Archbishop Desmond Tutu. And it's really about mutuality. We belong to each other, right? So mm-hmm. um, that we are, you know, and... and um, the Reverend Martin Luther King talked about that too, our interconnectedness, that we are woven in this in this garment of destiny together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we understand that, right, then we understand, well, when I harm somebody there, I am part of that. I am part of that. And when we because we belong to each other, I don't want any harm to come to you but if I have done some harm then I also want to make it right and that's the beauty also of I think what the gospel is this transformation Mm -hmm. the possibility of transformation not quick repentance not quick transformation like I mean again I mean this book took 30 years right so it's not a quick thing it's doing the work and doing the work means you build a capacity as well right Mm -hmm. For yeah. being in hard things, um, and then of course there's the there's that piece. I also write about this, like you know, sprinkle through that the idea of joy. When I've looked at activists and the lives of activists, again the Archbishop Desmond Tutu. If you go Google his laugh, my word, just mm-hmm. sit in that the joy. It was wrought in deep suffering, in so much work, but he fought for that joy, right? And so mm-hmm. that is also the inheritance of doing this work, is joy. When we allow ourselves to face our complicity, the ugliness, but also the goodness, and, and not shy away from these feelings and these truths, we also reap the benefit of the full spectrum of humanity, of joy, of um, just playfulness, of mm-hmm. being human, of the, you know, the, the joy of, of seeing the ocean and your sand on the feet and the flower and, you know, all of the beautiful things of being human, being at a table together with friends, right? In a mm-hmm. place of restored relationship, right? Yeah, it's, so it's so good. It's beautiful. I want to finish off this just... There's so many beautiful moments where you just inserted and shared, just weaved in naturally to your story of Jesus, this liberating Jesus. Mm-hmm. I want to finish with that because, you know, I, I, I always am deeply saddened when looking at news and, and causes that we've used Jesus and scripture in such divisive yeah. ways because we can use scripture and Jesus for our own need or gain on either side Mm-hmm. You know, but maybe just talk for a little bit, Idalette, just what does that mean, the, the liberating Jesus, as 
you are a recovering racist, how Jesus meets and works in that space. I think a lot of it you said, I mean, a lot of these things of joy and honor come from, you know, him and and how he honored, you know, uh, the least of these and the marginalized and the people on the fringe and the ones who were skeptical and the ones who asked questions, you know, and so what does that look like for you? And, And for someone who's like, I'm hearing Jesus in this and I wouldn't put Jesus in, in recovering racism because it, 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 you know, Jesus is the one who has been racist in the con in the context of what I've seen, right? The church and, and Jesus have been yeah. used uh, for these yes. causes. And so I'm staying way right. away, way away from all that. No, thank you. But you've, yeah. you beautifully naturally said, no, he has been a part of, of this pilgrimage of this journey for you. Yeah, the church has done a lot of harm, right? And if you think about, so for me, like apartheid, right? If you think about residential schools here in Canadian context, um, and even the name of Jesus used as a weapon, right? Mm -hmm. The scripture used as weapons, and I don't think Mm -hmm. Jesus ever meant for scripture to be a hammer, right? To... um, to beat people up with. Um, for me, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Right? Um, and so there's that, you know, I'm so grateful because one of the one of the things I did do um, when I was in Taiwan was this Bible study called Experiencing God. Um, oh, was out of yeah. The ba- right, yeah. It was out of the Baptist yeah. community, right? And, yeah, yeah. and I, I guess it was, it what it did and I, you know, we took a long time with it, and it, it created this, I guess, an, an infrastructure in which intimacy with God and the relationship with God became this beautiful dance, where I was constantly watching what God was doing, right? And see, what does the Spirit up to, and where do I join God, right? And so... um that framed, I think that really created this infrastructure for me of, of faith, right? And how this Emmanuel God with us, um, I'm constantly looking where God is at work, right? And what is God up to? And so a liberated, so for me in my life then, um, you know, even as I say that Emmanuel God with us, it's not just God with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's God with us, mm-hmm. right? And so... In this intimacy, so even as I was drawing near to God, near to this liberating Jesus, this liberating Jesus did not hold back to remind me or take me to places of pain. Kind of in when we were, when I was trying to untie or heal some of the wounds of my life, this liberating Jesus would say, well, okay, here's something we need to pay attention to. and But be with this liberating Jesus would be with me, right? Like the spirit would be mm-hmm. with me as we would, um, as we would behold or look or just get a glimpse of what, for example, apartheid had done. And then as I would repent or as I would do or fall on my knees or weep and just God, what is it that I need to do through this? Or what is my responsibility? Um, then just in the, it's in that relational space, right? That these that this liberating happens, right? I don't think there's a 
again, it can be prescriptive. It's like relational. Yeah. <laughs> right? The liberating Jesus is relational. For me, a lot of it has happened where I, we just ask, I just ask a lot of questions. So a lot of my relationships, okay, God, let's talk about this. Mm-hmm. I want to learn about this. So there's something here. Can you teach me? Or what do I need to read? Where do I need to go? But this intimacy, right? An intimacy, and I, I love um, uh, when people talk about the, 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 the definition of into me see, right? Hmm. Yeah. Like when God can see into me, but also I can get a glimpse, maybe just a glimpse of this world and this love that God has for all of humanity, right? Mm. And for justice, right? And for peace. But it's not, it's not, you know, it's not, um, I'm trying to, it's not artificial. It's deep. It's, it's, it's sought after. It's hard work, right? It's good work. It's liberating work. The thing is doing this work actually liberates, right? It builds this capacity. It just, you're, you're working and it's not an earning. It's a. Because again, it's like this beautiful intimacy in this dance and just saying, I'm not willing to stay where I am. I didn't want to stay in shame, but how do we get to freedom? Mm-hmm. Right? Wow. Edelette McVicker, <laughs> uh, could we keep talking for like 10 hours? Yeah. Uh, so much. Uh, and I think... For our viewers and listeners today, you know, you need to pick up her latest book, Recovering Racist, Dismantling White Supremacy, and Reclaiming Our Humanity. Um, so good. I mean, I, I, we, I wanted to kind of go through in your chapters, Idolette, where you talk about, you know, waking up, leave, repent, recalibrate, repair, you know, a confession for recovering racists. I mean, powerful book, beautifully written, and... Uh, Everybody needs to get it. So I'm so proud of you for doing this. How can people get your book or connect with you if they want to, you know, chat, you know, via email and whatnot? How can people connect yeah. with you? Sure. Um, well, I'm on idele.com and then I'm on, um, so I-D-E-L-E-T-T-E.com. Um, on most of the social medias, Instagram, Idolette McVicker, and Twitter, and Facebook. A little less active on Facebook, mostly Instagram and Twitter <laughs> yeah. these days, right? But um, yeah, and, and there's a way to contact me from my website as well. Okay. And the book is available on most um, most of the media outlets. Um, and you can also have, a, there's lots of links to where you can order the book. Um, also straight from Baker Publishing, right? Baker Bookhouse. Right. Um, for people who are ordering from that side and so yeah there's lots of ways the book is most places where you're finding books if you mostly online right now so yeah amazing it was a pleasure absolute pleasure listening to you learning um there's things like I've, i've written down on all of my pages just like notes of things that i need to kind of process myself and uh what's great is today i don't have any more meetings after this so i I, i've sort of chosen i think i need to sit down and think through some of the things that you know let you said and think about you know how am i honoring everyone that's one of the most profound things i'm like it's um and you have definitely shattered me in in some spaces so i'm I'm gonna use that word shatter because it really felt like 
I have to do the work, even as an Asian woman, you know, there are, there are areas in my life, which I need to take a pause a moment to kind of do an inventory, you know, to autopsy, to interrogate, as you say, uh, some things. And I think that's good. I mean, I think growing, even at my age and stage where, you know, some moments I'm like, I know everything. I'm good. Look at me at my place, you know, these platforms, but as a woman growing in relationships with people and with Jesus, you know, there's a lot more that I, I know I need to do and to think through and be thoughtful about and, and make some decisions. So thank you for that. I, I needed this conversation today. I really did. Mm-hmm. I so appreciate you. your honesty and your, and your courage in this journey. I mean, I can tell that people are probably like recovering racists. Um, but I'm so glad that even though it took 30 years, you, you did it. And so thank you so much for being on our summer of strength series. I think your words will, are and will strengthen many, many of our friends and fans. And so thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Whoa. (laughs) Uh, My head is still spinning in this conversation. And I think the thing that's got me were the last words and conversation where Idalette said, Are you honoring everyone? That following Jesus, recovering as a racist means to honor everyone. It doesn't mean that you agree with them. And there are, there are accountabilities around that, but are you honoring everyone today? And so, you know, our prayer, as you think about what you heard for the past hour plus, is that, do you need to be a recovering racist? Do you need to dismantle white supremacy that has overcome your life? And are you wanting to reclaim your humanity of becoming human again in loving and honoring all people as Jesus has called us to? I hope you do, but it's not an overnight change or, or a quick change. As Idalette said, it has taken her 30 years on this journey in recovery. So thank you so much for listening, for watching. And as you take pause and think and listen, and as you choose, as you choose to recover as a racist, as you choose to forgive yourself and others as you choose to stand in solidarity and justice and compassion and love and honor for everyone. Know this in the hard work that you are seen, you are heard, and you are deeply, deeply loved by God. Thanks for joining us, and I hope that you will join us all summer long uh, in our series of SOS Summer of Strength. Thank you for your ongoing support of Crossroads, a supporter-funded nonprofit organization and member of the Canadian Centre for Christian Charities. Thanks to faithful people like you, we are able to continue producing See Here Love. You can write to Crossroads, P.O. Box 5100, Burlington, Ontario, L7R, 4M2, or visit crossroads.ca to learn more about our programs.